Hello. Oh. How are you? I am okay. Good, good. Sorry, I was a little late. I, uh, oh, you're good. I looked at my planters on the porch and I had this great zucchini. And then I had two other zucchinis that were clearly chewed off by some gigantic rodent living in my outdoor fireplace. Well, he's dealing with that. that that's how I know there's no uh, benevolent God. <laughs> Rodents. Welcome to What the Hell is a Pastor, a podcast about life and set-apart ministry. Join us each week as we sit down to talk about the experiences and challenges of pastoral life and PhD life, and invite others to join us as we all try to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. Listeners, we are excited to come to you today announcing that we have been doing this for a year, which I actually, I had to go back and look at the uh, the uploads to see when we started. Cause I was like, August, September, who, kn who knows when? It's been, it's been a long time. But yeah, we've been doing this for a year. How are you feeling about that, Ethan? It's cool, man. Like, like that's exciting. It's the one constant, I, I guess other than friends and family, but it's, it's the one, <laughs> it's like the one constant for the year. <laughs> we, we're at least doing what the hell is a pastor? Even as uh, we're one pastor down for what the hell is a pastor? <laughs> we can still be pondering the question, though. I feel like yeah, yeah, haven't no, answered it at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also feel like this has been a good, solid, constant thing in a year that has not. Uh, nothing, nothing has felt constant. It's been, it's all been up in the air. Um, yeah, I'm excited about it. And listeners, you might have noticed that we have been doing a couple more interviews in recent days, months, weeks, and we've been really enjoying that. So we're hoping to line up some more guests as we go. So uh, if you like the episodes where we just kind of shoot the shit and hang out, we'll still be doing those. But if you like hearing from people who aren't us, <laughs> we will also be having other people on the pod too, which I think is going to be, it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll keep going with the same kind of release schedule and we'll still keep doing mini-sodes uh, and, and we'll go from there. Ethan is figuring out his schedule and, and getting things started because as we all know, schools are ridiculous right now. <laughs> but once, oh, yeah. the, once the school year is settled in, we'll have a clearer idea of, of what the hell it is we're doing here on What the Hell's Pastor. That's exactly right. Yeah, but thank you all for listening. For those of you who have been listening, those of you who we have coerced into listening, all that. Uh -huh. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. Um, <laughs> I feel like Ian and Nick are the are the two who are like always here. If you are, are also always here, let us know. Shout us out. Yeah, let us know. Video response. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you think about everything on the podcast, and we will lean on our own approval, because that's something I'm working on in therapy now. <laughs> lean on our own approval. 
that's a hard one for me because ultimately my approval fluctuates from uh, needing to be like emperor of the earth <laughs> to, and some, it'll, so it'll go there sometimes. And then it also fluctuates to, ah, who gives a shit, you know? And, and then like, like, who cares if I live or die? <laughs> My therapist has a lot of uh, faith in my ability to not become like a complete and total narcissist and egomaniac. Like I feel like all of my self-deprecation has been prohibiting me from turning into just a terrible, terrible person. Uh, but who mm. knows? Who knows? Uh, no, that's interesting. That's interesting. Isn't it? Um, that was so over the past week or so, I, I did not have the world's best mental health week this past week um, for like a variety of reasons. I've also had trouble sleeping. Um, I found broken glass in my yard and I'm right by a big highway, not a big highway. I'm right by a road out of town. <laughs> and so there's traffic all the time and there's a ton of litter in my yard, but this was much closer to my house than usual litter. And it had clearly been thrown against my wall. Uh, so I have been on like super duper high alert. Um, and we have the, the commissioners are, the county commissioners are voting to address the town commissioners who requested that the statue be removed. So that's tonight. And then we're hoping that like after this, we can um, start doing things that will have a different tangible effect in our community. Um, but we, so we've been protesting like out in the street. We've been walking the streets with our signs. We had been on a count on a corner and then people got very close to us with their cars and we figured it was safer to be mobile. So, uh, but I have just never in my life have I been called a fucking bitch so many times. <laughs> and like, I've been told to go home when I am like literally a five minute drive from my house. I have been told to get a real job. And when they said that, I was like, but I have a real job. Like they were in a car, they shouted as they went by. And I was just very innocently like, but I don't understand, I do have a job. And the guy like flipped us off as he was driving away as well. And I was like, okay, cool. So I am, uh, I am ready. Like I was not prepared for this level of like out loud insults. Like usually I'm pretty good if somebody, um, if somebody clearly doesn't like me, I am okay at like sectioning off my sadness about that and, and letting go of my need for their particular approval. But um, it's just never been this vicious and in my face before. <laughs> and so it's, a, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. I guess it means that we're doing, we're doing work that is uh, shaking up the community. And so I guess that's good. But Sure, sure. I mean, uh, hey, this is a, almost a cliche now, but it's still true. Uh, people screamed at Jesus, right? That's true. <laughs> so, like, I I think that uh, so one of the things, that, Joe, that I'm sensitive of on the podcast from time to time is that I I really like to ground, you know, your activism and my activism or or whatever we're doing, in, you know, in kind of pastoral or Christian language. Mm -hmm. Um, not, not really because I'm, I'm made uncomfortable when it's not done that way, but, but to demonstrate for ourselves and for our listeners that, that this is really a, 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 uh, a pastoral and baptized Christian problem. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like this is something mm -hmm. that has, this is something that isn't just, 
yeah, we're Christians, but we're also leftists. Like, no, we're, we're our left, you know, what makes us leftists is informed by our Christian faith and by, you know, our, our baptism and stuff like that. And yeah. like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I was agreeing. Oh, great. Um, and like, so like when I hear about the, the strong emotional responses that you're experiencing from people, like I'm immediately taken, you know, like, like I'm, I'm taken into the past uh, and, mm. and I'm reminded that like, not only from, you know, the perspective of the gospel and from the book of Acts, you know, and, and, and just the stories of the church, like, do we see this happen where, where baptized Christians or Jesus um, uh, by the movement of the spirit, by, by the fact that we are um, uh, moved to see the world in a different way mm-hmm. uh, and to see ourselves and other people in a different way. Um, we're moved to say something or do something or, or be a certain way. And then having that, having a pushback from others be really strong and emotional and guttural and stuff like that. We see that all throughout the gospel and, 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 you know, the new Testament, but we also see that as pastors, like we do the same when, when we're, when we do pastor stuff, well, part of our job is not to be museum curators. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, like now sometimes I think it feels that way. And sometimes there's an element to that because there's an element of survival where we're like, okay, you know, part of what it means to garner social capital is to, you know, in your congregation and community is to kind of have a small part of your job, be a museum curator, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which I recognize. and, And I don't think that's bad. Like, like I don't, I, I think that that's fine. You know, it, it, it's just life. It's just part of the job. But the primary part of the job is is to be a guide and and a source of of you know confidence and vitality and vision for a community to help them um, become more and more like the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, as you know, Joe. When we do that, <laughs> sometimes there's a strong guttural emotional negative response because yeah. because we're just you know human beings just don't like that we don't like um being confronted with with uh the stuff that really needs to change or the stuff that really challenges um how we see the world and how we see ourselves and so your experience of being called a fucking bitch is awful. And I hate that that's what's happening to you, but like it is both uh, a pastoral experience and a, a protesting political experience, because I think it comes from the same well, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I just, (laughs) in a, in a funnier version of being called a bitch, there's a person who, um, calls us for like uh, to help pay power bills or whatever. He's a community member. He comes to our food pantry and he's just like, he's just a good old guy who can't work the same construction jobs that he used to be able to work. And he's a handyman and you know, work is only however much it is, but like at least he owns his own home and stuff. Mm 
But anyway, so he'll call to check in sometimes, and he has some thoughts about how this is the end times and things like that. Uh, but he had called last week, and I hadn't answered. There was other stuff going on. I had a parishioner die, and so there was a lot of funeral planning and things like that. And so I hadn't called him back. And so he called this morning, and he's, like, chatting and talking. And so I just want to see how you ones are and all this kind of stuff. And then, like, toward the end of the phone call, he was like, well, you know, I just, I just wanted to call because I hadn't talked to you. And, and I thought, you know what I do? I'll, I'll call that smart bitch and talk to her some and I was like did you just call me a smart bitch but like it wasn't mean you think I'm smart (laughs) (laughs) what what an insult no like I I I was just like did how does does is that what he thinks I just what because he's not aggressive in any way shape or form I don't get like a weird creep vibe from him like I think that Maybe he's, that's just the default word for women that he uses and he doesn't see the problem. I, I, I was just, I was so puzzled. And so I didn't necessarily listen to the rest of what he had to say in that moment because I was so taken aback. But he was like, well, it's good to talk to you and, and give me a call sometime and, uh, and goodbye. And I was like, bye friend, uh, thanks for calling. So that was, that was the flip side of the coin. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty good. What a time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I'm writing to, to go back to the kind of pastoral political side of things. I am once again coming before the county commissioners, asking them to remove the statue. And uh, I've done every argument that I've had has been based, based in some level in Christianity. I've quoted scripture. I've told the commissioners that I'm praying for them and boy, am I praying for them. And, um, We've had a couple of people in the group who are like, we really need a Christian counter argument to these people who support the statue and, and say that, that, that their faith calls them to support it. And I was like, I've been offering that for a month. I guess I just haven't been loud enough about it. And so I'm trying to figure genitals. <laughs> you know, that might be what it is. To, to be <laughs> fair, the people who are like, we haven't heard that argument are also people who, um, within the the larger group that we're in, they are much more like on the ground, talking to community members, doing that kind of stuff. And I'm doing more organizational stuff. And mm-hmm. so the only times we meet are when we're getting together for big protests or when we're planning what to talk about for the commissioner's meeting and all that kind of stuff. So I get it. Um, and, uh, but I, I have been struggling with the best way to express why uh, my beliefs grow out of my Christian faith. Like I say that because it's, I, I know it to be true, but like laying out the argument has been tough. And so after we're done recording, I'm going to sit and, and think about that. I don't know. I, I just like care for the least of these is my, is my primary concern coming out of my uh, gospel faith. And so often in the United States, let's go with always in the United States, the least of these are black and brown people, you know? Um, And so it makes it, it's just a very straightforward line to me to say, well, white supremacy is the thing that is oppressing everybody here, but especially the least of these. And so I want to fight white supremacy tooth and nail. And I want to know that my county government has my back on that. Um, So maybe I just wrote it right now, but I, yeah, it's it's hard because of all the stuff we talked about with Dr. Algendi and the stuff we talked about with Dr. Robin. It, everything's just so entrenched, and uh, so much so much of the stories in the rural South um, of the people who fly the Confederate flag 
um, and don't weren't part of the like social elite who put up these statues and paid for these statues or the social elite who like pushed my state in particular into going into the war. Um, so many of these poorer people don't um, see see their service, their their family service in the Civil War as the thing they have to be proud of. This is what um, one of the commissioners told us when they were talking to us in a kind of one-on-one -on -one group setting was that like not not everybody in their family went on to be doctors or pastors or teachers or or any profession to be really proud of but what they do have to be proud of is the fact that like their people defended their land and um and that's their source of pride and right. i've been so struck by that because i i also uh <laughs> and ian can tell anybody in the world who asks him that like I am very defensive of the South as we've all heard on the podcast um, because I think that there's there is a lot here to love and there are things here to be proud of but that doesn't mean that I am proud of everything the South does right because it's absurd and it's the same thing with the United States like there are there are powerful ideals and the United States could be something fantastic. And also like we went to the moon, so that's awesome. Like there are there are things to be proud of uh when you are uh -huh. <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna deny the moon landing now again? I mean, why not? <sighs> okay, cool. Um there's some other things <laughs> I've never denied the moon landing. I think we landed on the sun. Cool, which is the back side of the moon, right? Yeah, no, no, it's the other way around. The moon is the back side of the sun. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. That's why you never <laughs> see them in the sky at the same time. Every time Adrea uh, says, look, there's the moon when it's light outside, I go, I go, you and your fantasies, kid. I'm going to ship you so many children's science books. I'm just going to, your house is just going to be like the Harry Potter letters. It's so boring. Stuff. If only science was more interesting. That's all I have to say. Oh, my God. If only science was more interesting. I appreciate that you have a deep and wide curiosity for the things of this world. I just don't understand why it doesn't extend to science. But I, I appreciate you either way. It's, it's the math. It's the math. It comes down to math. I sit there and I'm like, but it's math. No, it's more than that. No, it's only that. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's it's only math. All of them. Actually, we could have that. That's a good conversation. There's a math teacher I had named Mrs. Fetter. Mrs. <laughs> Fetter. This is a true story. My ninth grade math teacher was Mrs. Fetter. Mrs. Fetter terrorized me. She was this old, old lady. And she was just, just terrorized. But she was no good and very mean and called people stupid, you know. And, wow. and, and at one point, as we were doing something with X's and lines and, and stuff I, uh, I I was like Mrs. Fetter and I attempted to ask the question as politely as I could because I know how this question comes across but mm. but like I was honestly just curious like like the question I had was wh who would use this practically like like what uh, job like like i, mm -hmm. I just want to know like like it was a, it was an honestly curious question and so i like i was as polite as possible i i tried to preface it well i was like mrs fetter i i i am having trouble kind of grasping this and and i maybe a practical thing will help me like 
who would use this practically? Like, like what profession would, would use this? Like, help me out. She started laughing at me and, and she was like, you know, I once had a student ask me this exact question about this lesson, Mr. Shear. You know who it was? Robin Haynes, your mother. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now you can laugh, but Mrs. Fetter terrorized my mother oh, when, no. when she taught, it was the same thing. And so, so basically she was saying, you're stupid like your mother. Oh, no. um, so, so yeah, that, oh, oh, so you laugh at that. All you math people are the same. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm sorry. I'm you stupid so like your mother. <laughs> you are. You are stupid like your mother. No, you're both very thanks. intelligent people. Oh, thanks oh. a lot. Uh, see, and that's. Uh, uh, I have so many thoughts and feelings about all of that, and. Oh, my favorite thing, listeners. My favorite thing, listeners, is it's so easy to sidetrack Joe just by just with cl- easy, uh, simple phrases about science or math or the moon like it's it's great it's oh, great do you do you want this podcast to keep going i do <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm just kidding we could stop um, it right now <laughs> <laughs> don't make me pull this podcast over um yeah uh, so one i'm sorry that math people have not been kind to you <laughs> uh but and and to what was it science the moon america that's where we were <laughs> right america Going back. anyway like i don't i don't want to say that like the united states is the worst place in the world ever oh my gosh like i i don't uh completely hate my country but at the same time like i want it to be better than what it is and that means acknowledging the problems that are here and so um I, I just really, I really struggle with people who can't take criticism of their country and can't take, it's not even criticism, can't take like the honest truth about the, the fact that they have idealized their country, they have idealized their past and their heritage as if they have nothing else to hold on to, you know, as if the like people can have complicated legacies. It's not all good or all bad. And maybe that goes back to evangelicalism and that kind of the, the very black and white theology of it. Either you are like saved and redeemed or you are awful and terrible and you will know them by their fruits. And those liberals, we know that those fruits are no good. I, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's, you're right. I think that you're right. I think that it's um, the simplification problem. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there, I, I don't know which came first, kind of either, what was it uh, a simplified uh, worldview that came first and then therefore everything became simplified or was it like, you know, do, do are we naturally more complex, naturally, whatever that means, more complex thinkers, but there's, you know, we were trained to not be complex thinkers and so there needs to be more, you know, simplified uh, a simplified teaching of history or a simplified identity in order to like you know control us I, I i have no idea but like what i do know is is that my daughter as a three-year-old is able to kind of take difference every day of her life like 
mm-hmm. that that yeah you know like if things are too different you know like like if her routine is totally thrown off if she can't get chicken nuggets tostino's pizza or a hot dog <laughs> you know like <laughs> like like that's not good you know she she can't handle that she doesn't like that but because she's a human being and, and change is hard but like you know she's also um understands that there isn't anything bigger than uh on in existence than the world you know what i mean like for her the world is not small it, 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 so like when we see a new person that she hasn't seen before she's like well of course <laughs> you know of course i've never seen that person before there that's it's totally different and i think that you know i don't know but I, I, basically my response to what you're saying is that like, I think um, maybe, maybe this is what I think. I think that when we live in a society where everything can be marketed mm-hmm. and everything can be bought and commodified and, 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 and we see kind of all aspects of life as a marketplace, um then uh uh when things become complicated we can buy a thing to make it less complicated right and so i I said that like i remember reflecting with a libertarian acquaintance of mine on facebook before i tried to strangle him to death with my mind like a (laughs) sister um uh where you know one who who was saying this like like the market is is kind of this metaphor for everything like you can use the metaphor of the market uh for religion for politics for of course economics for for everything and and the idea is if you just allow it to be to to be free without any kind of interference then people will naturally select what is best because you know for in in all kind of layers of life right what is the best religion what is the best you know everything and and finally i said to him you know as we were talking i was like but like you know not everything is a market how does one determine what is the best art you know art art is not coca-cola also Coca-Cola is not the best soda. It's just the soda that has convinced everybody is the best. Like, exactly. or, you know, in some form or another, you know what I mean? Like, like there are, there are lots of things that we judge um, not, not through market practices, you know? Yeah. Uh, there are, Walmart is the number one retail retailer of clothes in the in the world. But they do not does, have the best clothes. But that's my point. Like, does yeah. that mean that Walmart has the best clothes? Like, yes, more people on planet Earth choose Walmart as their clothing manufacturer than anything else. Therefore, Walmart uh, produces the best clothes. Of course not. You know, we know that's right. not true. Right, and. Yeah, there's, um, there is this, along with the individualistic belief that like, I know what is best and right for me, and therefore I will go and achieve it at all costs, uh, even if it means the 
not caring for somebody else on my way to achieving or getting what I want or being able to have the financial means to obtain anything I want. Uh, there's this idea that like we are smarter. It, like every, I as an individual am smarter than everybody else that I know and I'm not getting fooled by advertising and I'm not getting duped by political slogans and I would never read misinformation. When like, really no, we all do. It's, it's this is idea that um, each of us as individuals are somehow completely exceptional and are great lie detectors and and we just we know because uh, we're better and that's that's just not true and so like that's I think that's part of why you see um, uh, so many evangelicals also falling for like conspiracy theories like so many people who um, look at information and judge it and say, oh, no, now I have the truth and I am more aware than all the rest of you sheeple. Um, and it, it just kind of goes hand in hand with also believing that, well, I have been saved and therefore I am better. Um, and that is just so contrary <laughs> to like, whoever wants to be first among you must be the servant to all, right? Or like, consider everybody else as better than yourselves or like bear one another up in love. Like, it's just so contrary to the ethos of so much of the New Testament and, and all of scripture in many places, right? Like the kings in, of Israel and of Judah who are more focused on themselves and bettering themselves are the kings that like, may their days be few, you know? Oh, they sure. are not the ones that we raise up and say, yes, this was the best king. Yeah, I think there, I think there's really something to that. Um, the our friends from the the town where we served where the area we served matt and amanda uh we were having dinner with them months ago and and amanda was talking about a an article she read sort of about everything we're saying where you know why why are folks sort of falling for this right like why does there seem to be more people in the mainstream being um influenced by these uh kind of weird conspiracy theories and this article uh talked about metacognition and and amanda had hadn't really heard of that before and, and neither had i you know, necessarily either but like amanda was it, basically metacognition is just thinking about your own thinking mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh and and one of the things this article was saying is that well you know there studies have shown that that conservatives are just less likely to do that they're they're less likely and it's not just conservatives of course everybody everybody to a degree doesn't do that mm -hmm. but like folk there there are some folks who are just less likely to think about their thinking like like hmm, what is causing me to think this way or feel this way or, or have this opinion um, and instead are, are, are sort of more likely to just kind of go with it, you know, like they kind of go with the information presented to them or they just sort of go with whatever hits their mind or, or makes them, you know, whatever they, they feel like. And so Amanda had, had Beth create a shirt for her because Beth is crafty and makes these things. And the shirt is a picture of a brain with a thought bubble going up and in the thought bubble is 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 a smaller picture of the same brain. <laughs> <laughs> so and and so she it's a good shirt actually. I was like I like I that. that. It's metacognition. 
<laughs> thinking about thinking. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I, I, I don't want to diagnose people like that's right. that's silly, of course, but I do think that that just just for a second being suspicious, right? Mm -hmm. I know that you could make the argument that that suspicion is what causes folks to fall for conspiracy theories, but I actually don't think so. I I, I actually think that it's a very kind of limited sort of suspicion. It's this that that sort of suspicion that causes folks to fall for conspiracy theories it is ultimately a suspicion that says, um, you know, well, maybe because I'm because I have I am the I. Uh, the only experience of thinking and feeling I have is my own. Maybe I'm the only one who thinks and feels. Right. You know, and, and. Solipsism. Right, right. Whereas uh, I, I think being more suspicious uh, in a good way is, is, is to be suspicious of yourself then is to say, okay, well, you know, man, why, why am I so angry? Why, or why am I feeling like this? Why, why, when I read, um, the QAnon stuff, I <laughs> feel a sense of satisfaction. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And I don't, again, there are, are smart analytical people out there who, um, get, get caught up in conspiracy theories all the time. So it's not necessarily a matter of intelligence or, or ability to research um but it is i i don't know i keep on going back to the idea that like hurt people hurt people mm. and so there is there is something that is threatening the people who are reacting so strongly to whichever thing and because that threat is there that limits their metacognition right like sure. adrea is tiny and most of her needs are taken care of and like the world is i assume pretty good for adrea right now and so that threat level is at like a zero she's not having to like panic and be in survival mode about things but i i think that um and i don't want to like lay it all on the increasing diversity of the country or whichever but i think that the world is just different than the world that many people were promised and a lot of people's reaction to the world being different than they expected is i am under threat and therefore i need to like shut down anything that's not necessary and uh, go into the world with um with my guard up all of the time and anything that makes me feel like i am in control anything that makes me feel safe um that is what i'm gonna that's what i'm gonna gravitate towards and so I, that's like that's my kind of generous read of the people who are driving by and uh calling us all sorts of names got called a got called a whore as well and sluts i'm like Ooh. we're all we're uh we're covered not that we would be whores or sluts if we were wearing like tank tops or whatever but like we're all here in fairly modest clothing like i'm, I'm interested to see why somebody must be a slut because they disagree with you that's um, uh well that that's an that's a purity culture response joe like you mm -hmm. you know your your assumption that your assumption that uh well i'm dressed modestly how can i be a whore is is built into the purity culture thing whore is just whore is just what men say to to women that they don't like 
Right. You know, Ugh. that's just, that's just so what that is. Yeah. I thought that like bitch was enough, but I'm glad that they have a diverse vocabulary they can use, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. So that like these people are feeling very threatened because there's something really fundamental that they're losing and they feel hurt and they feel panicked and they feel unsafe. And so out of that, they're lashing out. And like the thing that they're losing is white supremacy, right? Like we as white people have been very coddled by white supremacy. And now that it is being pulled away from us, there's, we don't know like what to hold on to. We don't know what like, what good things we can have as this idol is being taken away from us. And so it, it's a real genuine struggle that people are going to push back against. And it's all because like, there was a power, there was a principality, there was a demon that was so much more a part of ourselves than we thought that it was, that when that demon is being exercised, we are left with many empty spaces and it's frightening inside of ourselves. Sure. So, Absolutely. yeah, I, and I, on like a pastoral level, I would be very happy to have conversations with people in my congregations who, um, disagree with the statue being moved because I think that there's a level of like respect and like coming to the table between us. Um, but the people who are upset that I got quoted in the newspaper are also people who have not spoken to me at all since then. And it is so hard to figure out how, what the best way to contact them again is when it's a pandemic, when I can't sit down and talk to them, when it's going to have to be over phone when I don't know what else is going on in their lives, I, it's, um, that's been really challenging. It's like having yeah. students in a class who have just shut you down and then, uh, they haven't come to school in two weeks. And it's like, how, like, why am I allowed to break this barrier and go see what's going on? Sure. Sure. I, that that's also been keeping me up. I'm really kind of panicked about that. Oh, I, I understand. That's scary. That's very scary. Which it feels, again, like it feels like I should, I should be able to be like, well, I know that I am doing something that's growing out of my faith and that I'm like, that, that I'm standing on firm ground and so I'm fine and their opinion of me doesn't matter. And in, in a lot of ways, their opinion of me doesn't matter. But the fact that they are now opposed to me in this way makes my job harder. It and, does. Um, and they're also, there's not a ton of men in my congregation. And so I feel like I need to fight for every last one. Huh, sure. I understand. So, I understand. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, in many ways, my strategy as a pastor was to be a lot sneakier than you're being, mm. you know, and, and, and what that meant was that often my uh, conflicts with my with members of my congregation were really localized, and and were conflicts that I uh, was really okay with having. Like mm -hmm. I was totally okay with having conflicts on LGBTQ inclusion and justice. I, I was, and and I I had a few. There there weren't a lot, but I had a few. Um. I was really okay with having conflicts on the search for peace, <laughs> right. but like, but like I was not okay with sort of diving into things, um, uh, 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 explicitly and very directly that I knew 
were going to be really, were, were going to be layers that I was going to need to break, right. to break through that. And that was going to really inversely affect my relationship with key people in my congregation. In, in many ways, I was, I was a, uh, I guess you could say I was a coward, but, but I, I also, you know, yeah, shows who I was going to interact with, you know, and, and shows who, yeah. who I wasn't prepared to lose. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it's very discerning. Um, where I like, I don't, I don't think I want to ascribe coward because I think that you were making the choices that, um, that allowed your congregation to survive. Um, yeah, I, this is again, like a reason why I am frustrated with the institutional church is that I just feel so hemmed in because I feel like I should have made, uh, I should, I should have kept my mouth shut when a newspaper reporter came around, you know, like I should have uh, kept my opinions to myself and not rock the boat in the middle of a pandemic when I can't deal with it in the way that I uh, would like to. But also, dealing with a conflict is a two-way street, and I am frustrated by the fact that I have my door open, that I have been preaching, literally preaching about how we as Christians are supposed to deal with conflict, which is not to... Um, not to hold on to a grudge, but instead to come and reconcile with one another before we go and give our gifts at the altar. You know, like there's, um, we, we have this, uh, there, this profound biblical witness that tells us that like, if you have a problem with your sibling in Christ, it is something that you both have to come to the table to and for and if you are following the teachings of Christ, your siblings shouldn't have to drag you there kicking and screaming. Sure. Um, and and it's, a, it's a little bit of a level of disrespect, too, that I feel. And I, it's just, it's exhausting. It's an exhausting extra emotional thing that um, causes me to second guess myself a lot and all these sort of things. Um, yeah, and, and like I think that a lot of people who are pastors are conflict avoidant. Um, that like that's just a, an often a personality of somebody who wants to go into parish pastoral ministry is they want to like keep the team together or move forward together. Um, and I I would rather uh, set up the expectations so that conflicts are less likely, which I think that I've done a good job of doing. But now that I am here on uh, a basically one-sided conflict that people aren't coming to, like we're, I had the doors, right? And we had that whole thing to go through. But at least yes. like I was not an involved party in the doors and that made it easier for me to mediate. But mm -hmm. here with this, it is somebody who, it, it, there are people in the congregation who feel deeply personally insulted by me and my opinions. And, but are not uh, willing to say those words to me. Right. And, and then because they aren't talking to me, maybe it's a bigger deal. Maybe I'm making a bigger deal out of it than I am, even though they haven't been coming to anything and they were coming to things before. So it's, I don't like guessing. I don't, this is, this is when I say that I don't like drama. This is what I don't like. I don't like this stuff where uh, we give people the silent treatment and pretend like that's going to express our displeasure. Like we're adults, we can use our words. Right. Um, 
Whew, sorry, got that rant off of my chest. No, and it's again, okay. Like that's that is also how small churches are. <laughs> you know, there's sure that level of um, that's how they deal with things. I mean, that's how people deal with things too. A lot of times, that's true. I uh, so the lady who I think I talked about on the podcast with Rick. Uh, who who yelled at me to go away when I went to go visit her on hospice care. Yes. She's the one who passed last week. Oh, um, no. Yeah. And, and I, I had a hard time getting in touch with the family. Her sister had contacted the church Facebook page, but like none of the other family got the phone number for the church, which is, is fine. Like when you're in the middle of dealing with all this, it's hard to know who to reach out to. Um, I ended up getting the previous pastor to write another kind of eulogy for her because she's somebody who has been, had been a very active member of the church during the 15 members that the previous, 50 members, 15 years that the previous pastor was here, but uh, had been in basically homebound the whole time that I've been here. So I've sent her like letters once a week and I've tried to call her a couple of times, but she had two cell phones and it was a toss up to see which one she would answer. Um, and I went to go visit her twice and that was really all of the interaction that I got to have with her. So it was nice to have the previous pastor, um, one, be willing to let me do the funeral, even though I've been here for a year, um, because the family wanted him and he was like, I'm not going out during COVID. And I was like, what a great excuse. Um, but then two to write that. So I could, I had something to kind of bolster my stories too, but there, the, um, the grandchildren were just tore to pieces that she was gone um and then the adults were like well but also like here are some other things that we are that there here there's some unresolved conflict here that like we did our best that we could to to care for her but she wasn't always the easiest person to care for which i think is really fair um and and happens and so it was it it was so interesting having to like ask very like open and honest questions of people to kind of get a sense for who this lady was uh and try to like get get an idea of what to say for her as we laid her to rest um but at the same time hearing a lot of the like well you know i wouldn't say this but um and and it just seemed to me like there was a lot of unresolved conflict around this person <laughs> Uh, that people were happy to have like let linger, but not not deal with. And that's, this is the first funeral that I've done where I really, really felt that, where um, there was hurt that had not been healed and that is kind of left unhealed now that she's no longer here to be able to, to interact with. And, you know, I think, I think time will deal with a lot of that. And I, I bet a lot of that will just pass away as the years go because that's what happens a lot with death but it made it a really um a really challenging funeral yeah. also they didn't pay me which oh, well. feels super is super petty but like it's just that they were not even though she'd been in declining health for at least a year if not more they were really not prepared for this and really had no idea of how to interact with a church um and yeah and, and also, I was the only person there wearing a mask. <laughs> and, sure, sure. Uh, Let, do, you, do you mind if do you mind if I do a quick interlude that's exactly connected to what you just said? Yeah, go for it. Uh, listeners, the "didn't pay me" line 
because you might find that a little strange. Um, because uh, we we've done funerals on over the last year of doing this podcast, but we don't really talk didn't really talk about that this part of it. There is a uh, there's nothing there's nothing in the rule book because there is no rule book mm-hmm. on um uh how much like like getting paid to do funerals. What what is sort of the general um how do I want to say it the, the sort of general practice is that there is some kind of payment that happens very discreetly, mm-hmm. um, usually at the beginning or the end. Um, and and it's just sort of one of those things that it's, you know, we don't really talk about it. it it's not really, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's not really polite to talk about it because it's a funeral and nobody wants to talk about money or anything. Right. Um, I, that's, that's tough. I've, I've been paid for every funeral I've done. Um, and, and I've often thought what I would say if I, if I was not paid for one, because like, that's, you know, like it's still, you put work into it and it's, it's one of those kind of hard things. But yeah, yeah, I just wanted to quickly throw that out there. No, I that's I think that's helpful for people in case in case they didn't know. And I imagine that most of our listeners are a little bit younger and hopefully have not had to be on the the primary planning end of a service for a loved one. Um, and like I, prior to being a pastor, would not have known this, uh, and I would not have known what to do. And of course, like if somebody is unable to pay oh my gosh, absolutely do not. Like, I'm happy to offer this. And it is part of my job. Like part of my salary in theory pays for this. But funerals are often over and above a normal week, which was definitely the case this past week. Um, And and often like the pastor is putting many other things aside in order to do this, which again, part of the job um, and an important part of the job. And I'm not unhappy about doing it. But there is also that, like, kind of the getting paid for a funeral is kind of that acknowledgement that, like, you have, you were here for us in this moment, and it's on top of what you've already been doing, and we're thankful for that, and so we're paying you. Um, in, in a way that, like, you would pay, like, the caterer if you had a catered meal or something, you know? Sure. Um, so, yeah, yeah. But, like, I got like two, maybe three thank yous from the family and then they all just kind of left. And it, it was a, it was a, it was a weird situation. And I'm sure that like the pandemic has things to do with it. I'm sure that like the complicated oh, sure. dynamics have things to do with it. Um, and, and the lady who passed was a member of our church, but nobody else in her family was. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was just a complicated situation, uh, and I sweated so much, <laughs> and and so I had I'd been planning. Oh goodness, I hit my computer. I had been planning on being a street medic at a protest on the day of the funeral, and then had to back out of that, which again, not not a problem because it's also a volunteer thing that I'm doing extra on top of my work, um, and work comes first. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a. It, it was a, it was one of those things where at the end of the day, I was exhausted and not in a fantastic way, you know, right. and, uh, 
just it, it was it was draining in an extra way and and we've talked about how much we we really value being part of funerals and being part of these things but it, it also felt like a big rejection too kind of sure. on top of all of the other rejections that are happening which is why we talk so much about uh, acceptance and, and self-acceptance and therapy i think is i was just feeling a lot of that over this past week and, and it has been hard because there's just not a ton of affirmation coming pastor's way during the pandemic. Like you are not, there's no way you're going to make everybody in the congregation happy if you open or if you stay closed or if you're doing online um, and people are on edge. And so they're a lot more likely to be critical. Right. And it's, it's just, we just kind of got to get through it, you know, like just plow through it. And it's, um, has not made the job really delightful though we did have we had two visitors who came to worship we had outdoor worship on sunday cool um and we had two visitors and as i think we brought up before i have a very white congregation with a couple of indigenous people um and then these two people uh it was a husband and wife and the husband was black and the wife was latina and uh they had just like found us on the internet and texted the church phone to see what time the service was and if we were still having it and came on over and, and visited with us and the husband came over and talked about preaching afterwards because he's done some on his own and the wife uh posted a picture from the service on facebook and it was just really like it was just really delightful and uh they were like the two most affirming people at the service for me. And so it was this, this interesting contrast that like there, there are people who have been here who have like known me for a year and who were so warm at the beginning and who now are experiencing a more fullness of me and are now a little less warm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and this is why they tell you to like work on your mental health and stuff before you go into this. Cause, um, a lot of us are people pleasers and a, a big chunk of this job is not necessarily pleasing people and that's okay and that's uh it, it means that we are sometimes it means that we're doing what we're doing sometimes it, it means that we're neglecting things but i think i think i'm doing a lot of the best that i can i think you um, are too thanks thanks but it doesn't make it any easier <laughs> when it's when it feels gross no. Like no you're right it doesn't it doesn't I think um, that, you know, having, having been away from this job for about a month now, I think that there's a lot of, about this job that I really like. Um, but the parts that I don't like uh, are pretty bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's what makes it tough. Like, the stuff I really like about this job is, man, I, I really like being able to talk to people about Jesus I really do man I like Jesus <laughs> like I do like like yeah. I, I I love talking to people about Jesus I like watching people um come to new understanding and new experience I think that's really great man I, I like I like being with people and casting visions for things and watching people do good work and and being a part of that good work um I even like uh, sitting in meetings, you know, I don't hate it anyway, you know, like mm -hmm. meetings don't crush me. Like I, I can sit in meetings and I can talk about budgets and, and, and I like all of that, but, but the stuff I don't like are, you know, 
I don't like that our this job is the kind of job that encourages people to think that they can uh, own you. Right. And uh, not everybody, but but some people. You know, I I don't like that this job uh, means that you are under a particular kind of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Where. Um, yeah, everybody's under scrutiny. That that's not what bothers me, but like that it's that it's the kind of scrutiny that that says everybody else is allowed to have different spheres in their lives, except mm-hmm. for you. You know, yeah. your your life has to be one dimensional, and and it's and it's basically you got to conform to this one dimension. I find that soul crushing you know and and i think it's why so many folks are are leaving you know so many pastors who are close to our age are leaving because um unlike some of our uh predecessors we um i think just have a different sense of the way we are constructed persons you know and yeah. and the way we uh what it means to live well in the world than than maybe some of our forebears. I think also, um, you know, the benefits just aren't that good. Mm-hmm. You know, like like I I'm willing to do anything for money. <laughs> like it, I really am. Like like I I am. You know, those guys calling you a whore, they really should have been calling to me. You know, like, and I mean, and I mean that with total respect to sex workers, I I truly do, but but like I I'm willing to do just about anything for money because I'm in crippling debt and and like you know I I I I, I am I'm willing to do just about anything for money. You raise that price up well enough, Beth and I like that's Beth and I are prepared to to sleep with anybody if they're rich, you know. <laughs> But we are like, like, right. how rich is this person? Will this person pay for our shit? Yes, have at it. You know, like, like, make it happen. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm not prepared to, like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I know I do know what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that I think there are parts of this job for me that are just not worth. The, everything that are not worth the trouble, not worth the money. Yeah. You know, I, it, it's not worth, um, what, what do I say all the time? Holding old ladies' hands as they yell at you. Right. You know, it, it's, it's, that's a funny thing. Uh, and it would be a lot more funny if, if my health insurance is better. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? But it's just not funny enough. Like, like it's not funny enough when when i'm still paying hospital bills from last year yeah that's that's just not funny enough it's just not funny enough to listen to somebody talk about spics again Spic. you know like hispanic people uh, i hadn't even not heard this slur how really no oh well, well now I know. you should have you should have grew up in pennsylvania um <laughs> you know or or you know just just and then expect them to like sort of agree with me like like or or to even just you know it doesn't even have to be in that realm like in in the realm of 
of how to run a church or in the realm of what good theology is or in the, you know, stuff like that. And then to have them, you know, to, to sit and listen to bad theology or bad church takes mm-hmm. while, go, while I go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. like, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Um, I do think we need, we need a reimagination of the job. Um, yeah. We also need a reimagination of the church. Like it's just, it's not, it does not function the way that it used to function. Uh, and honestly, there are better ways for it to function than the way it used to function. I think we just, um, Christianity in America is a really frustrating thing. And it's, it is soul killing. <laughs> like it is not, it is not life giving in, in the ways that we need for it to be in order to dedicate ourselves to it. Right. And right. And we don't have the the social safety net in the United States to be able to treat people this poorly. And we are like so lucky that like it, it's at least a middle, lower middle class income, you know, to, to be a pastor. It's uh, it's above minimum wage and, and housing is paid for. And I feel the richest that I've ever felt in my life. But that's not saying that uh, we're being properly paid. That's just a, a statement on how poorly we pay educators and, and other workers that I've been in my life. So it's... Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Um, it does ask a whole lot of us. And I think the people who I am inspired by, uh, when as uh, the pastors that I am inspired by, colleagues of mine that I'm inspired by, are people who um, acknowledge the toughness of the job, but also have a lot more of the good things of the job to hold on to. And it's, um, there's, there are churches out there that are, that are doing well and that are healthy. And I think that if, if we could get our fill on those and then go out to churches that need a little more work and need a, need a little more growth, then like we would still have something to kind of harken back to and a, and a store to kind of pull from. But as it is, we get sent to these churches that have a lot of things going on and, and need a lot of support and care. And we are not as, emotionally, mentally, mentally, spiritually, experientially equipped enough to, to bring them into a place of full health. Um, it's like sending a, sending a medical intern out into a rural community and saying, here, deal with this diabetes epidemic, you know? And on top of that, you're also going to have some overdoses. And don't mind the fact that everybody comes in here with back pain. It's just the, the job that's in the area, you know, like the plant is just really bad for people's health. It's um, in order to fix the problem, there are big structural things that have to get fixed and you're asked to be a Band-Aid. And it is uh, frustrating because you get, you get ripped off and ripped apart and thrown away. And it's, um, that sucks. (laughs) So in a way, we are really the same place where we were a year ago (laughs) in terms of how we feel about this job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting, isn't it? Um, Highs and lows. I, I highs and lows and lows. Highs and lows. And and you know, I I think that the money issue is hard because oh, it's not that hard. But like I've encountered resistance on the money issue for a lot of reasons. Like you've got particularly in this in the area that I served, you know, there's the sense of um seeing my complaining about money as a kind of entitlement. 
mm. or as a uh, you know I should be more grateful or or what have you and I always find I always found that kind of odd um, but I also understood it like I grew up in central Pennsylvania so like I wrap my brain around it mm-hmm. um, I, I I think that I always find that odd coming from uh family values folks <laughs> that's yeah. that's been my tireless refrain now the family values folks strike again you know like you know we believe in family values but 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 ultimately all that that means is that we think abortion is wrong we don't really care about any other aspect of the family system you know oh we also think gay marriage is wrong too because that's right. apparently bad well, and um, a woman cheating on her husband is wrong as well. Yeah, but I, I don't hear that a ton. <laughs> uh, I'm from the enlightened north. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, but no, like, like I, the, you should be more grateful. I mean, if you value family, then why shouldn't people get paid more so that their families can be provided for better? When, yeah. when really the family values people value suffering right you know that that's really the answer like which i always find so strange you know i the i i reminded folks at my church that a lot like there are no extra points for suffering mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um jesus identifies with those who suffer and 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 but not because their suffering makes them holy um but but because hey like folks who are really suffering you know, are are the ones who stand in need of grace. You know, they stand in need of a just world. And and I'm not saying that me not making as much as I think I should as a pastor, uh, or having access to good to to the healthcare I thought I should as a pastor, um, is is like the suffering people that Jesus has in mind in Matthew 25. Like that's right. not what I'm saying. My my point though is is that I think that for some um, at least for the culture that I was a pastor at for so long, um, the alleviation of suffering is not on their radar in the same way as other things are, because I think suffering in some form is sort of seen not only as inevitable, but a good thing, Hmm. you know, and, and, uh, I mean, what, what are, what are older folks really saying when they complain about younger folks? I don't like that your life is a little easier. You know, like, like I, <laughs> I don't well, feel like my life is easier than theirs was. <laughs> oh no, I, I agree with you, but uh, you know, but that is their kind of their perception. Like, I think yeah, that is their I don't perception. like that you feel like you can ask for what you need. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's I think that's rooted in it. Now you know, there's always exceptions. I'm I'm not trying to make a a a, a, a statement about everybody, of course. Right. But but I think that that that's sort of present. I think that that's there. Um, you know, some of the most hardworking people I've ever met are people our age. Yes. They they work harder and longer than than anybody else I've I've ever met. Um, and, and they have less to show for it. And I think that that's really just, that's, that's really all I'm trying to say. Like that's, it really is, you know, 
I, I'm, I don't complain that I moved out of a big house and into a, a condo. We did that for very poor, you know, particular reasons. And I knew I wasn't going to get an upgrade like, like in the house. You know what I mean? Right. Like, that's not what I'm complaining about. But what I am complaining about is that uh, we had to move and, you know, and, and leave a supposedly uh, uh, Christian area filled with family values <laughs> uh, to have access to, to the health care we need. Right. And I find that odd uh, and, and something of a disconnect. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And it, it just kind of tight back to the beginning part of the conversation. Yes. Kind of close out. They're like, you note that there's a disconnect. You probably could trace exactly where that disconnect comes from because you have the that that higher level of thinking about like the systems involved and all these things and the information that people have absorbed over the course of their life and and we we're really aware of the failings of the systems that we are working with and that we are working in um and how people are caught up in those systems right. but we also had a lot of time to learn that and observe that and think about that and we are people who who gravitate that way anyway and I think the, the big struggle that I'm having right now as a pastor is um, being able to communicate what I've learned to people who don't want to learn. Mm. And, um, not, and, and by no means does everybody in my church not want to learn, right? Like I, I have a lot of really bright, caring people who are also going through a lot right now um, who I don't... I, are are doing their best but also like because their best is in the middle and i'm also having to pull these other people around i feel really isolated even with all the support that i have it's just that like my churches are not uh places that are are filling me in any way they're just draining me right now and and i bet a lot of pastors are really feeling that way during the pandemic sure. um, and and so it, it makes it harder to be enthusiastic about the job and to put in all the extra work that you really need to do to get people to where, to to where they can be. Right? I'm not. I'm not, I don't want to say should or must. I'm just saying that like there is there is a deeper deeper Christian faith. There's a deeper way of interacting with the world or a different way of interacting with the world that can help bring about the reign of God. And I, I think it's our job to give people that vision and to, and to nudge people in that direction. And mm -hmm. they're missing out on something if we don't do that. And I, I don't want to keep them in that place where they're missing out on something. Right. Uh, I tend to use some stronger language surrounding this than you do, but I will throw this in. I, 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 I think it is necessary that, that folks, you know, uh, become more opened up to different life and new life. And, you know, when I, so like, I'm not saying that you and I have, have reached full flourishing humanity here. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Super but you know, that's in no way what I'm saying. But like when Jesus in the gospel of John speaks of being born again, you know, and, and says, it's really very simple. This is what you must do. Uh, I, I actually take that very seriously. Like, you know, being filled with new life, being filled with a transformed, you know, uh, inner and outer self. 
uh, and and finding new life in our systems and society and culture. Like, I think that is absolutely correct. I think that the current life is death dealing and wrong. Yeah, and we both, just we need it to be different. Yes, yes, and and I mean that both sort of publicly and politically in this kind of higher level that that I think is really important. But I also mean that in our churches and in our lives, like like this is, you know, th- this is this is a mandate, right? You know, and and from from Jesus, when I preached in, it, you know, when I was a pastor, when I when I one of the things that I do a lot is, is I would always refer to Jesus um, by uh, some of his more uh, startling, um, like, like monikers, like his names. Mm -hmm. And so I would never just call him Jesus. I would always say, this is what the savior says. This is what the master says. This is what the 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 king says this is what the lord says this is what the shepherd says you know and and mm-hmm. uh and i and i did that on purpose to to just kind of try to startle my folks um into seeing what he's being said as not just a suggestion yeah you know yeah. like you see what i'm saying like like i and so when i say you know when i say this is what the master tells us is true or this is what the 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 savior commands uh you know that says that must happen you know it's i i I really wanted to try to emphasize that you know the the beautiful one the 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 saving one jesus tells us that you must be born again uh, because your current life is killing you, mm-hmm. you know, and is killing others. The Savior tells us this, you know, and and like, yeah, there's like a dramatic kind of flair to that, but like, but like, I did that on purpose, right? Because uh, because I that kind of claim, um, I I think that everybody, conservative and liberal. Uh, you know, for as much as those distinctions mean, um, is still caught up in, in like one of the primary things of our culture, which is, um, the, which can be best characterized by the phrase, well, that's your opinion. (laughs) Right. 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 Like, I think everybody sort of is caught up in that. And like, there's there's a lot of great reason to be caught up in that. Like like often you have very powerful people that that have traditionally explained how the world works, and it really is just their opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it really is just just the their uh, uh, limited perspective on on things that they just don't know anything about. And so now that has of course been translated poorly now into. Um, well, I think that immigrants, immigrant children shouldn't be locked in cages. Well, that's your opinion, <laughs> you know, and, and now, and now that's kind of used in really poor ways. Like, did you watch uh, the recent interview that Trump did with that Australian guy on HBO? I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched, oh, like, I just oh, watched Lord. the part, part of it. <laughs> yeah, Lord, 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 like, like that, that's, that whole interview is sort of based in that, right? You know, like, yeah. 
like Trump's trying to go through these COVID statistics and, and the guy's like, I don't, I, I, what are you talking about? <laughs> you right. know, like America's doing, re- like the United States is doing really bad. Well, that's just one man's opinion. Well, no, I'm looking at numbers and looking at little data right, right here. And then yeah. I think at one point Trump's like, well, compared to the world. <laughs> right. And the guy's like the world. What? The world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you I- talking about? And the, the great thing about that interview is that Trump hands him these charts and he looks at it and he's like, oh, you're talking about this statistic, which does not, is not a picture of all of the things that are happening. Like you're just cherry picking a statistic. Right, right. You're very able to do. Um, get, like it's great that like in terms of uh, percentage of infections that lead to death, the U.S. is not the highest but boy look at the number of cases we have <laughs> like that percentage is going to start making a difference right I, yeah but uh, but no that's kind of so like i say all of that to kind of illustrate like i think that it's imperative in, in sort of at every level this kind of radical new birth mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know uh, it's absolutely imperative at the church level, like in, unless the church can be born again. <laughs> and I don't, and I don't mean that. In that hope, hopefully, the listeners know that that I don't mean that in that really silly, stereotypical way. You know, that si- the silly evangelical talking point way. You know, where where you cry in the middle of a Bethel concert, and then you <laughs> and then you go, I I want Jesus into my heart, and then you do it every couple of months when you go to the next festival, and then and then one day you die, you know, like like that's that's not what I mean, right? Like like I think that 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 uh, uh, Dr. Beverly Mitchell uh, used to say that unless we have a hundred percent true metanoia mm. you know which is the greek word for that kind of turning 180 degree turn the, the repentance right like unless there is true metanoia there will be hellfire you know yeah. <laughs> and and like and that's true you know like and so i want to say that like and i want to i want to get behind that um for the church and for individual people and for the world like it needs to happen I agree. our practices need to promote life mm-hmm. and truly do you know yeah i think Boom. that's a good place to leave it for this week you want to sign us off sure everybody this has been the inaugural episode of season two of what the hell is a pastor we are ethan and joe and we will see you next time <laughs>